So one of the hardest things about being a pastor or studying to be a pastor in my young career, I guess, so far, is figuring out what to preach on on a Sunday. It was easy when I was here more often, and it was easy when Pastor Eric would pick a theme or a series and say, you're preaching on these ones. That just came to me then of this is what I'm doing. But, but pastors all over the world are using something called, and I think that will be behind me shortly, the Revised Common Lectionary. And so today what I did is used this tool. And because a lot of us don't use it and the CRC doesn't necessarily use it a lot, I wanted to say something about it before we got started. And the Revised Common Lectionary is just a group of passages for every Sunday of the year on a three-year cycle. And you can see behind me, this is the, the lectionary readings for today. I'm not going to read all of those, but I wanted to include it in a slide so you can see the readings that would be given for today. And later, if you want, you can go home, you can see the slide again, and you can check out what those other passages are. Another really cool thing about using the lectionary is pastors and churches all over North America and beyond are using these same passages to preach on today. And I love that feeling, that sense of we are not just gathered here in Grimsby, but we are gathered hearing the same words of God as churches all over right now. And I think that's a, a cool way to do this, as when we leave this church, there are other people leaving other churches who also heard God speak through these passages. And so I encourage you, check out the lectionary uh, reading for each Sunday, uh, and then maybe follow along with different churches who are doing it. You can kind of prepare your own sermon in your own mind through the week and see how different pastors have chosen to do it. But the reading I chose today uh, is 1 Kings 19, 1 through 15. And before we read, as I often do, I think it's important to just say what's going on before we get to this part. And so throughout Kings, at least in the story of Elijah, we're seeing the power of God and the power of God on display in some pretty big ways. And over and over again, we've seen Elijah as witness to this power of God and Elijah as someone bringing the power of God, not just once, not just twice, but over and over again, we see Elijah walking with God. And I wrote down some of the examples here. Elijah at one point proclaimed there would be a famine, because God told him to, and there was a famine. And then later, Elijah was fed by ravens during this famine. Ravens who brought him food from who knows where, but guided by God. And then Elijah stayed with a widow during this famine, and the widow's ingredients for making bread didn't run out the whole time that he lived there. And then the widow's son died, and Elijah, through the power of God, raised this child back to life. And then just before this passage in, in chapter 18, Elijah, maybe a familiar story for a lot of you, the prophets of Baal, a other god of that time, we're having a competition with Elijah of whose God could answer and bring fire on a sacrifice. And Elijah's God, our God, won that battle. And Elijah had just done that, and fire had consumed everything, and Elijah had put a lot of those false prophets to death. And that is where we enter in today's reading here. And so 1 Kings 19, verse 1, where we read, Now Ahab, the king at the time, told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And so Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave to spend the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a great fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. And this is the word of the Lord. And I think I've started a sermon like this before, but this passage frustrated me this week. And it frustrated me because of all the things that I said that Elijah had seen God doing and been witness and had front row seats. And the first thing we read here is that Elijah has a short memory. We read in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And this frustrates me because I think if I had front row seats to God using my hand to raise someone from the dead, to being in a famine where ravens, you know, the classic bird that always steals your food was bringing me food instead during that whole time. If I had had front row seats like Elijah, would I have forgotten one verse later, the next day, that God had sent fire and consumed a sacrifice and put the God Baal to shame and all the prophets? Elijah had witnessed this power. Elijah had called on God and then a mere human. A mere human turns to Elijah and says, I don't like what you did. I am going to kill you. 
And yes, this human had the resources to do that, had the power to do that, could do this at any time. But you'd think Elijah, who served a God who brought people back from the dead or sustained life during a famine, you'd think Elijah would say, wait a minute, my God is more powerful than this. But Elijah doesn't say that. Elijah seems to forget everything that had just happened, and Elijah is scared and runs for his life. And that frustrates me. It frustrates me that a prophet of God, a prophet that we read about throughout the Old Testament as when Jesus ascended to heaven, who was there? Moses and Elijah. And we hear about the people thinking Elijah and Moses were the greatest prophets. And here we see an instance of Elijah seeming to forget his allegiance to a powerful God. I think that's hard for me to read. And I think if we go through this, we'll see a couple of things in Elijah's life, and then I want to step and look at our own lives, and then I want to look at what God did in this story and how God might be acting in our own stories as well. So that's kind of the pattern that we're going to follow. And so one of the things that I I noticed as I read this over and over again and and read through some commentaries is verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. I think this is part of the problem in this passage. Because Elijah hadn't been doing anything. It was God working. It was God moving. But for some reason, Ahab and Jezebel did not want to give God credit for what had happened did not want to say God had done these things, did not want to say God had sent a famine, God had provided food, God had sent fire. Instead, that credit or that blame was for some reason given to Elijah. And I also wonder how Elijah felt about that. And this is me wondering, this isn't in the text specifically, but I wonder if part of the problem here was Elijah was starting to feel that he deserved some credit. If you are working and moving and God is working and moving in you and and yours is the hand that raises someone from the dead, at least as far as people can see, and you are the person who brings fire as far as people can see, I wonder if Elijah started to be like, hey, I'm kind of a big deal. I walk with God and I talk with God and God works through me in these ways. And I wonder if Elijah continued to give credit where credit was needed. Because I wonder if his fear or his running away comes from that credit that he was giving himself when Jezebel now says, I am going to kill you, and Elijah realizes nothing is solved. I didn't fix anything. I I helped God, and I walked with God, and all this power came in me and through me and through the work of God, and nothing changed in the leadership in our country. And so I wonder if Elijah felt a little defeated, thinking, well, we just had this great power. Wouldn't they turn to God? And now Jezebel is saying, we want you dead. We're not following this. And so regardless of of what's going on with who's getting the credit, who's not, Elijah runs. Elijah flees from God, or how you look at it, maybe to God. And we'll walk through that a second. Because in verse 3 it says, He fled, and then when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And so we don't know exactly why he fled. We get some clues in the text. One major clue is that he was afraid, and so he fled. 
I wonder if there was a pride issue here also. That again, like we were saying with credit, that, that he had just seen God working and it didn't seem to change the hearts of the people who wanted him dead. And now he was like, what am I doing? If all of this stuff that I'm doing isn't getting me somewhere, isn't getting us somewhere, then, then what good am I? What good is this process? And so he decides to run. And when he asks about, or when we'll read that next in a second, but about being like his ancestors, I wonder what he means by that. That he didn't get it figured out. That he didn't fix things. That he continued to fail just like those ahead of him. But for whatever reason, Elijah runs. And I think we need a quick uh, geography lesson here to understand where he's running to. And so throughout the Old Testament, we hear the phrase, from Dan to Beersheba. And what that's saying is the north to the south of the kingdom of Judah, the land that was given to Israel, the land that God said, this is for my people and I will dwell in your midst. And so Elijah has this episode of fear. Elijah has this episode of, God, where are you? What is going on? And Elijah runs, not just to the next town, hoping Jezebel doesn't find him, but he runs all the way to the southern extremity of the land of God, leaves his servant there, and then walks one day further into the wilderness. Elijah has run. And if you look at this wilderness, and sometimes you can look at Elijah is running from the presence of God. We read often in the Bible that the desert is this wasteland, this desert is this place where it's wild, and where God isn't. And so we see this land of Israel where God is with his people, contrasted with a desert where, where it's wild, where it's untamed. And we can say, Elijah must be running from God in this way, just ready to give up. But we also see the Bible throughout Scripture, or we also see the desert throughout Scripture being a place where people meet with God. We think of um, 40 days in the desert of wandering for the people of Israel before they met, entered the promised land, and time where God shaped and formed them. We think later in the New Testament where Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted, but also strengthening that relationship with God. And so I wonder, and it does not make it clear here, and nothing I read made that clear either. I wonder where Elijah is in this. Is he running away from God, out of the land of Israel, out of where God said he is with his people? Or was Elijah running to God, in a sense? And, and I think in reading it and, and seeing his next request, I think he was running from God in a sense of, if he wanted to die, then, then the wilderness was the place to do it. And his death request was kind of ironic. Don't you think? He came to a broom bush. He sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. And it's ironic in the sense that he was fleeing from Jezebel. And what did she want to do? Take his life. And now instead he ran away. And now he's asking to do the very thing that he was running from. And that's what made me start to wonder, is this a pride thing? Is this a I'd rather put myself to death, in a sense, in the wilderness, then let my arch enemy, the queen and king who I've had this conflict with the whole time, I don't want them to put me to death. I don't want people to see that they have won, that they have got the final say, and so, so I'll go on this path myself. So it's kind of ironic. 
And he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I keep on failing. I don't see the ways that you are working in this. I don't know how to fix this mess. So I'm done. And he sits under the broom tree and he falls asleep. And I think part of the reason I was frustrated with this is because I take a look at my own life. And I wonder in this story of Elijah, am I really that different from some of these things I see? And I'll say, am I different? But I think I can collectively say, are we really that different? I don't think I'm that unique from all of you who are here, at least in some of these ways. Do we sometimes have a forgetfulness of the way that God has moved? And I think about that especially now. We've just come through a time in the church year that is crazy in how much we see the power of God. Through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' ascension, we've just come out of this epic time in the church calendar. And now we get to what's referred to as ordinary time. And sometimes it can be easy, Sunday after Sunday, day after day, to forget some of those grand things that God has done. And I think sometimes in my own life right now and in our own lives, we can do that too. Where we can go through a bout of illness where we pray for healing and we get healing. And then the next thing comes along and we say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? Without remembering the ways that God has worked. I remember when I started here just over a year ago, there was hardly anyone here. And Sunday after Sunday, we prayed that God would take away this COVID thing, take away this pandemic, give us space to be here together again. And now I look out and we're here. God has responded to our prayers. But then I also wondered, do we give God credit for that? Or in our forgetfulness, do we say, well, I'm glad these things went into place. I'm glad I made these decisions. And when the next thing comes along, we forget the impact that God has the ways that God does move, the ways that God does work. And so I see my own forgetfulness. I think about if I had a a really terrible sermon and people told me that after, I might want to say, God, where were you? The Holy Spirit is supposed to be working in this message. Where were you? And then the next Sunday, maybe I had a really great sermon and someone said, that was a good job. And then do I just say, thanks, I put a lot of time into it. Or am I willing to give God credit for that also, to say the Spirit was at work? And so these questions about forgetfulness, these questions about credit, these questions about even being ready to give up sometimes. I haven't run to the wilderness. That's that's a far run from here. Um, But I have run away from things. I've run away from some of the challenging conversations I need to have with people. I've run away from some of the discussions I need to do. I've, I've run away from some of the conversations I need to have with God. I've gone to my wilderness spots and say, I give up. It doesn't seem to be working. And again, I doubt I'm alone in that. And so we might have those experiences like Elijah did here too. But I want to look at how God responds. Because what God does in his response says something about who God is. And I think that's what we need to see here. And so God's first response is an opposite response. What did Elijah pray? Elijah prayed, I want to die. And God said, I'm going to give you some food. And that's the exact opposite of what Elijah was asking. If someone goes to the wilderness to die, they're going there because there isn't food or water. 
But God says, you need food or water because I have a different story in mind for you. I have a different plan. You may have come here to die, but I am here to give you life. Even here in the desert. Even a one-day walk into the wild, into the wilderness, away from any town and grocery stores and places you can get food, I am going to provide for you. So apparently God doesn't always answer our prayers how we ask, or how we might expect, or how we think that we might need it. And I wonder how Elijah felt in this. Do you think he was thankful to see the food? Do you think he rolled his eyes and kind of said, God, leave me alone. I came here with this plan, and you're doing something else, and I'm not ready for that. Can you just let me have this? We don't know. We just know he ate, and he napped, and when he woke up, the angel came back and said, here's some more food. And then the angel said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And we might be, and Elijah probably was like, wait a minute, what journey? I already came all the way to Beersheba, all the way out of the presence in the land of God, all the way into the desert, a full day, and now you're talking about a journey that I need food for? I just wanted to die. And so he goes on an unexpected journey. This wasn't his plan at all. And we read that he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. This was not his plan. This was not some epic camping trip or hiking event that we might plan to go on and be prepared for. Elijah had gone to the desert to die, a whole day's walk, and God says, I want you to walk further. I want you to enter into this more. Whatever you were searching for one day into this wilderness, I am going to bring you 40 more days into this wilderness. Elijah had tried to give up. And God said, you are not ready to give up now. I'm not ready to give up now. And we don't read that God told Elijah where he was going. We read that he made it to the mountain of God, to Horeb. We don't know that God said, you're going to Horeb, pack your bags, let's go. We don't know if, if God metaphorically grabbed Elijah's hand and said, we're going for a walk. And 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, they ended up there. We don't know if God said, Elijah, get walking, I'll tell you when you're done. We just know that Elijah had come to the wilderness to die, and God said, go deeper into the wilderness. I am going to take you there, but I'm also going to give you what you need along the way. Because even though the journey was unexpected, in God's eyes, the destination was expected the whole time. Because when he reaches this mountain, when he reaches this cave where he sleeps, what scholars say is, is might be the very same cave where Moses met with God generations before. Either way, after 40 days and 40 nights of walking, Elijah ends up somewhere. He didn't know where he was headed, but God knew that all along. And I'm sure to Elijah that these 40 days in the desert felt like, and that was the title of the sermon, felt like steps backwards. I came from this, this provision. I came from this land where you were present. I came just as you were sending rain again, and now I'm 40 days in the desert, wandering around, not knowing where I'm going. This hurts, Lord. This doesn't feel like where I should be. How are you teaching me something as I walk through this desert? I feel like I'm taking steps in the wrong direction. And at the end of 40 days, he ends up 
at the mountain where God has spoken to his people. The place where God was bringing him all along. As he felt more and more distant from his own people, more and more distant potentially from the presence of God, he ends up exactly where God had showed his presence. And Elijah experiences God's presence in that place exactly how Elijah needs to at that time. And I'm not going to talk about the, the experience of him on that mountain. You can go back to last summer when Pastor Eric preached about the quiet power of God on this very, this very text. And you can read about what that looked like. I want to focus today on the fact that the important thing is Elijah got there. And God brought him into his presence. I had an experience like this. If we can get the picture behind me. There we go. This is a prayer labyrinth. And I went with a couple other people from this congregation on the two or three day um, spiritual disciplines retreat that Pastor Eric led. And we had a chance to be in silence. We had a chance to fast. We had a chance to do devotions. And the camp that we went to or the retreat center we went to had a prayer labyrinth. And so you can picture this just looking down from the sky on it. In a prayer labyrinth, you're meant to wander through. And so when I entered this, it's not high walls. I could see the middle. I could see the rock that I wanted to sit on in the sunlight and pray to God. And I said, I'm going to walk this labyrinth. And in my experience, it, it was one where I met with God and where I learned a bit more how God might work in my life. Because you see where it's green here? At the bottom where you enter? And it looks like you're walking right towards that destination that you're trying to get to. And then we veer to the left. And then we slowly make our way closer, and then we make our way farther away again. And, and part of me was just annoyed and discouraged. Of, I just wanted to go sit on that rock. It looked nice. It looked sunny. It looked like a place where I could rest and pray. But I had committed to this journey through this labyrinth. And as I walked at that, I wonder how Elijah felt too, as, as that destination seemed to be in my rearview mirror as I took these twists and turns. But I realized the whole way, no matter what way I was faced, no matter where I was walking, that destination was still getting closer. It wasn't the direct route. But I was still moving through these times, and the destination was clear. And I think that is what affected me on that trip. That was what affected me reading about Elijah here too. Elijah didn't know where he was going, but now we know. Now the destination is clear. Now we know where God was moving all along. And so I'm curious, how do you feel right now? Where, where do you meet with Elijah on this journey? Do you feel weary and burdened? Do you feel alone like nothing has been working? Do you feel not sure how to go on? Do you feel like you have been fed for the journey? Do you feel like you have met with God? Can you relate to Elijah in any of these stages? And maybe you remember a sermon of mine, maybe not, from a while ago where I talked about not every passage in the Bible is about application. I don't think this story is here to be like Elijah. How do we be in Elijah? Because then I would be preaching, well, we should all walk into the desert and ask God to take our lives because then God is going to meet with us. And it doesn't seem like that is the application from this scripture. It doesn't seem like God is saying, hey, reach your lowest low, 
say you want to die, and then I'll be there. No. Not every story is be like this Bible character. But what is this teaching us about God? Where can we see ourselves in Elijah's journey and then see how God met with Elijah? Because the same God who brought Elijah through that wilderness into his presence is the same God who is moving here, whatever that wilderness or whatever that food and water might look like for us. So as we finish, I want to look at God's response here. God gave Elijah exactly what he needed, even when it wasn't what Elijah wanted. God said, I need to meet your physical needs. Here is bread and here is water. And if you pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask in that prayer, give us our daily bread. And God said, I am going to meet that need. And then God met a need that Elijah didn't even know he had. God brought him on that tougher journey. God said, I am going to bring you into my presence, but we've got to walk through some of these things first. We've got to go through this first. And I am not saying that God only works in the valleys and that God only works in the desert and that if God really wants your attention, he's going to bring you through something hard. I'm not saying that at all. But can we trust in the ending? Can we trust that even when we do walk through those deserts, even when we do walk through those valleys, even when we spend those 40 days or nights of Elijah not knowing where we're going in a place that doesn't feel good, can we trust, like the prayer labyrinth that was there, that we know the ending, we know the destination that we're headed to, and if we are walking with God, we can endure those 40 days and 40 nights because God says, I'm bringing you somewhere. My presence is there all along. Can we see how God did that with and for Elijah? And can we trust that God continues to do that? And that we don't need to be as forgetful even as Elijah. That we can see the ways that God is doing that. And if you do need some application, if you do need something to leave here with, not a go be like Elijah, but we'll look at the final slide, the presence of God. Elijah did some things right. I think the very fact that he went into the wilderness and asked God to take his life, there was a continued conversation there. Even in Elijah's lowest of lows, he was still talking with God. Expectations. Do we only need to see God in the big and the bold and the fire-consuming miracles? Or are we willing to see God in the ordinary, in the ordinary places of life? One commentator I read said the majority of life's service is in quiet routine and humble obedience to God's will. And third, do you have the patience and trust? Do you have the patience and trust to walk life's prayer labyrinth where you know where you're walking towards even when it doesn't feel that way? Because you're going with God and you're going towards God. And do you trust and can we realize together we do have ultimate security, ultimate safety, ultimate, we know what the ending is like. We know whose presence we walk in. And God's response to all of how Elijah was feeling, God's response to how we are feeling is this. He says, come with me. Let's go for a walk. Come with me and enjoy my presence and experience what it means to do this with me. And I want to end with this psalm. Because when I put those lectionary readings on at the very beginning, sometimes they're related. They've tried to make them related in ways. Sometimes I don't know where that relationship is. 
But as I read through all those other ones, three times this part comes up. And as I walk through my journeys, as you walk through yours, as we walk through God through great times and troubled times, the psalmist in response write this. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And I can see Elijah writing this later on too. But put your hope in God, for I, for we will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the God who meets with us wherever we are in our journeys. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I don't know where we all are. I don't know what wilderness we have walked through, what wilderness we might be walking through or will in the future. But Lord, one thing I do know, and that is that you are with us and you have called us to life with you. And so while we wander sometimes seemingly in the wrong directions, sometimes seemingly backwards, we thank you for the destination that is always there. A life spent with you here on earth and for forever. Thank you for the ways that you speak to us. Thank you for the ways that you provide for us. We trust you and walk with you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.